I'm your host, Cyrus Slayman, and welcome to another episode of PM Hub Podcast Series, where we feature product leaders across the tech industry in the Canadian space. Now, in this episode, we will talk about execution for remote product teams. It's all the challenge to ship products in time, uh, but given this pandemic that forced us to work remotely, uh, product teams are on a strain, and you know, there's a lot of emotional baggage and vulnerability going around because let's face it, we're all human. And uh, the question becomes, how do you approach execution in such a situation that we are in a pandemic mode? Now, in order to help us better understand how to go about it, I had a chat with Amber Foucault. Amber is Vice President of Product at Sensible. With the launch of over 70 products under her belt, her specialty is creating strategy and momentum for execution on both SaaS products and custom builds, despite legacy systems, budgets, and operational hurdles. From B2B, B2C, B2B, and also B2C, Amber has worked in every industry, drawing expertise from each build to ensure execution is always possible. She's a big believer that technology isn't all about tech, it's about people. So she has spent her career understanding people and behaviors. All right, Amber, welcome to PM Hub. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, why don't you tell us a bit more about yourself and how you got into product? Absolutely. Uh, so it's been a little bit of a journey. I started my career in advertising and spent quite a bit of time at large multinational agencies, some at small boutique agencies. I worked on all kinds of different brands. Largely, I spent my time in the account management role or later in the, uh, my career, the strategic planning side of, of advertising. And what that actually allowed me to do was fall in love with customer insights and what drives people's behaviors for purchasing, um, for interest, um, from an emotional standpoint, and where those connections come in to products and brands. And that actually led me into a much more digitally focused role as social media and web started to take control a lot more of the advertising industry. And from there, it sort of seemed like a natural move for me to morph over into the PM role, right. which definitely meant I had to take classes on CSS and backend systems and learn HTML and make sure that my knowledge of what I was asking developers to do and work with me to solve was adequate enough that I could fully understand the course of the problem and the work that I required to have done in order to get to the product and outcome that I wanted. Uh, now, tell us a bit more about your team right now. You're at Sensible, you're the VPL product. Yeah, we're, um, as an organization, Sensible is about 65 people. Uh, we are primarily located in Toronto, although we do business in the UK and we have a pretty uh, large presence in the US from a, a sales team perspective. Um, my specific team currently is six people. So that's design, uh, technical product manager, product manager, and PMM roles. We're expanding that to include uh, a few more roles 
which will actually be this controversial role, uh, which is product strategy director. And a lot of people have said, isn't product strategy just a part of product management? And it is. Um, it's spun out so that we can actually have a better line of sight into particularly how we map data as a service and how, um, how data as a service can link into some of our existing product sets. So it really is a little bit more of an umbrella that sits across um, several of our internal teams. And, uh, and I like that. I definitely think that there's a need to structure your team based off of where your product vision is going to go versus where traditional product roles and organizations have sort of dictated because product management is not a one size fits all. So we very much believe that um, at, at, in the product team at Sensible. And as we see ourselves as the hub and the other teams are really the spoke off of us. So we've really operated in this hive mentality to be able to make sure we can service the hubs as best as possible. Yeah, it's the first time I'm hearing about product strategy director, but now to actually share a bit more about it makes sense. Uh, now, you also mentioned your, you have offices in Toronto, UK. Now, which is, is your product team distributed, distributed as well, or is it they're all based in Toronto? They're all based in Toronto, um, or at least they have been up until this point. So um, they've uh, we've traditionally gone to our office. Our offices are, are you know, big and beautiful and a very old, uh, cool building, um, you know, in the hub of the rest of the tech community in Toronto over by Spadina and and Adelaide, and so um, so it's a it's a great place, and it was and has been rich in our our social culture at Sensible, um, you know. So it's definitely been a shift, given that we're all working from home now. Yeah, which is a great segue to my next question: How has COVID <laughs> overall affected your business? Yeah, I mean. You know, first as humans, I think we've all had to really rethink the norms and understandings of the limits of our job and, and what that means to us in our lives uh, with, with the introduction of COVID. So, so personally, I know for a lot of us, it's been a really big adjustment. Um, as a business standpoint, uh, there's definitely been effects from a global economic depression standpoint. It's uh, impacted our sales teams and our sales teams' abilities to go into financial institutions and have conversations with them, uh, because of course, you know, the everyone is buckling down right now and trying to find means to cut costs and ensure that there's not any more pressure placed on the customer sales centers and um, any kind of customer success teams because certainly if you weren't digitally prepared for something like COVID, you've seen a huge influx in uh, challenges rolling into your organization through those call centers. Right on, yeah. So how has COVID overall affected the product development processes for, for your product team, especially on the roadmap side? I'm curious, Amber. Yeah, I, it has definitely affected our, our roadmaps. Like the from a development process standpoint, there's there's a there's a lot to unpack there in terms of how we coordinate and work together with the teams. You know, even something like a stand up can be a little bit harder doing remote. And you know, dare I say, you 
you lose a little bit of mojo with the team when you move from a physical stand-up environment into into a digital one. So it takes a little bit of getting used to, but by and large, the actual processes we have for development haven't really shifted that much. The roadmap has, and the roadmap has with good reason. The um, the triggers that we now have for buyers, because we are a B to B to C business, we have to really pay attention to what position those buyers are in and what they're going to be looking for for their consumers at the end of this. And so as a result, you know, the roadmap that I presented in our, you know, January 2020 kickoff of where we were headed inside of this fiscal year and beyond certainly had to be rethought. And as I took a close look at that, I have to match what that roadmap uh, looks like alongside what is happening in the financial landscape of not just Canada, but the U.S. and and Europe and try to pull out my crystal ball to get a good idea of where we might land and what tools might be most important to both the financial institution and the consumer when we land on the other side of, of COVID. And, you know, we don't really know what the other side of COVID is and when it will happen and what it will look like in terms of customer mindset um, and certainly of, of buying behaviors from financial institutions. But, you know, I've managed to get some pretty good guesses in and I think we are feeling comfortable about our direction finally. But it was it was a massive shift from March till now. Hmm. That's very interesting. Uh so so um like uh I'm just curious also to know when when you went through this phase of figuring out you know the next steps on the roadmap uh the process you took is this something you know you can share because I remember I spoke with my other guest Mitch and he mentioned they ran a remote design sprint and to kind of figure out uh, you know where to go from there to kind of like make a decision on like you know what the strategy will be was it something like this for your team as well or was it different um, so there's definitely been some, what I'll say is like, you know, building POCs, we've probably produced, I'll say four or five POCs since the start of COVID to help us understand from a data modeling perspective, um, what types of uh predictive use cases we can come up with, with our existing data sets. So we've leaned quite heavily into to a data strategy, um, and so so we've we've done a fair amount of work there. Now that isn't necessarily a traditional consumer-facing POC that requires a design sprint, but what we have found a way to do is use that data to then provide valuable insights back to a consumer. So now we can turn around and take a closer look at what that UX is and what requirements we would need to gather and test in order to shift our consumer-facing application to match that data strategy. So we actually um, internalized a lot more of that uh, process in order to make sure that we were making the most out of the assets we had available to us. Right on. Now, how remote was your team pre-COVID, Amber? I'm curious. 
we weren't remote at all. So everybody was in the office, although we did have a flexible working schedule for people. You were obviously able to work from home um, a couple days a week if you needed it or wanted to. Although I would say a lot of folks anecdotally on my team didn't really take advantage of that. We, we tended to um, enjoy the ability to be together and you know, riff off of one another and certainly use that energy that we could create to help, you know, mold and shape the culture of our team and influence other teams to help us and work with us. So, um, so that piece of it has been a substantial shift so that we can, you know, find, find new ways to build and forge relationships that help us all to get to where we want to go. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, would you be open to share, like, what are some new ways that you guys are finding to keep that team culture and morale, you know, up? up? Yeah, I think so. One of the things we did in the start of Q2 was we we shifted the whole organization to OKRs. And so those OKRs are actually helping multiple teams to stay in sync with one another. Um, You know, so even though we may not be able to see one another in the hallways and, you know, have that really meaningful conversation when you leave a meeting room and you actually are walking back to your desk, there's always that moment where you have something really important to share with someone you've you've just been in a meeting with. And we don't want to lose those components. And so, you know, the the part of that is keeping close with things like OKRs and being able to connect with other teams to talk about where their status is in those OKRs and use those moments to have some organic conversation around what filters out to other teams and how other teams are servicing to help complete OKRs that may be in a cross-functional part of the organization. And so I do really think that that's been a that's been a really big help for us. The other thing is is you you've got to be able to give people some space. And what I mean by space is you know we have a stand up with our product team um, once a week and we have a a OKR ceremony once a week. And the OKR OKR ceremony is actually pretty rigid. We've got a specific set of priorities we're going to go through. We're going to share those with each other and where we've made progress on them. Uh, But our stand-up is a little bit more for us to have a conversation, for us to get to know one another, for us to provide each other with feedback on things. And so we definitely are ensuring that there's an opportunity for us to get to know each other and find those hidden things we haven't quite realized we needed to share. Uh, And that is what I would equate to being the same thing as us being clustered together with our desks and, you know, yelling over to the person next to you, be like, hey, Amber, did you hear about this? And that's kind of how I see that portion. Right, right. No, thanks for sharing. Uh, It's very interesting how we shifted to OKRs to kind of keep the teams on on the same page and uh, have that flow. And that's pretty awesome. Now, you call yourself a product mercenary. Uh, Tell us a bit more about that. So I, I do think that a product mercenary is a little aggressive for the times, but I actually think that it's an important distinction to make in terms of where I'm at from a career standpoint. I want to be able to come into an organization and make sure that I can organize the product side, the engineering side, the requirements that the teams need to work together to build cross-functional competencies and start to 
create what I think is, you know, that that hub model. And so that the product team is able to control a lot of the product narrative, um, the data narratives, and the strategies that go alongside that and be able to funnel clear and concise messaging out to the cross-functional arms in the organization. And that's a really important uh, strategy to employ, particularly in an organization that, that is the size of Sensible right now, where we're creeping up to scale up territory and we're trying to solidify our processes so that we can become more efficient and, you know, we can automate components of what we're doing today so that we can get better, stronger and faster. And I love saying, uh, you know, I didn't come up with it, but I love the saying that is, you know, what you design designs you back. And I really think that that's an important concept to understand in product because everything from the process to the actual features um, to the, you know, operational dependencies on those features turn around and alter the composition of your organization. And so really coming in to be ruthless with the way that you do that so you can control how that design then turns around and shapes what it is you're measuring and shapes where it is you're spending your energy is a really important holistic view on what needs to happen. And, you know, Product in every organization is viewed differently. Sometimes product reports into a CTO. Um, sometimes product reports into a CEO um, or COO. It, it kind of depends. And de- that, uh, that structure can have a really big impact on how that product team has agility and mobility within the organization. And so taking a close look at that and being ruthless with the evaluation of it, I think really does make sure that you're putting the product's capabilities and viability first inside of, inside of your company. Hmm. That's a very interesting uh, viewpoint that you're sharing. And now I'm just curious, uh, so that mentality and that approach that you have on execution side, uh, is it more uh, related to personality or would you say, or is it like related to preferences or skills that you have? I I think it's probably skills, but there's there's definitely something about the mentality of it that is that is really important. And the build fast idea, not everyone is into that. Um, There's a lot of people who want to take their time and build the right way and make sure that it is the perfect fit. And I know there was a whole movement around fail fast. And it's not that I think fail fast is wrong. um, But it's that I really do believe in build fast. Um, and so build fast isn't married to fail fast, um, but it is a mentality that means that you need to be able to evaluate what constraints or what technical decisions you need to make in short order so that you understand trade-offs in order to build fast. And I think that kind of goes back to that mercenary mentality is that what is the most important thing? And sometimes the most important thing is getting to market. And sometimes the most important thing is a five-star experience. But you have to be able to know and identify what that is and then be relentless in the pursuit of that and find people to work with you that are in the same mindset of that relentless attitude. Hmm. 
now now i love that now it makes a lot more sense your approach to it when it comes to execution and i love how you put it on the build fast rather than fail fast that make uh, perfect sense now uh now marty kagan uh, notes in one of his blogs that once you've spec'd out the product and your engineering team begins the process of building this product, a very profound and important shift needs to take place for the product team. Now, the game is all about execution, getting this product built, tested, and delivered to the market. He also notes in that blog that in a countless product team, this shift in mindset doesn't actually happen, or at least it happens pretty late as much as like you know entering QA. How do you relate to this? Uh, you know, I think I think he's right. First off, I think you know um, I would high five that Marty Kagan guy. Um, what I do believe, though, is this isn't a big shift for an organization if they've always prioritized execution. And so, if you're a new startup just trying to figure out your product market fit, I could see how this would be a challenge. But if you're used to shipping with any kind of consistency, and if you're used to building new products, this piece of the of the puzzle actually becomes muscle memory. Because that shift into execution is now about having strategy in the back of your mind, but at the forefront are those requirements and conversations and process that you need in order to inch forward at at a pace that allows you to make true on your milestones or your roadmaps. And so from my perspective, I know this is where a lot of organizations fall down. And that's why I have you know referenced myself um, as that product mercenary more than once, because the most important thing you can do is stand up your execution game first. Um, and you know it's, it's not that the strategy is easy or it's not that the market research and understanding the end users is a, an easy part of the process, but it means nothing. It's literally a hallucination if you cannot execute on it. And so from, from my perspective, I, I believe in building this part of the team at the exact same time as I'm trying to understand what concepts are worth going to market on. I love that. I love that. And that makes perfect sense on how it relates to the startup stage itself. And what you're sharing actually make a lot of sense. Now, you know, playing the devil's advocate, uh, what are some shortcomings uh, of putting more focus or emphasis on execution, in your opinion, if there are any? <laughs> there, there are. Um, you know, there there are shortcomings on, on the execution side. There's... Um, there's, you know, doing it, doing it the wrong way. There's getting something out the door for the sake of getting it out the door. There are a lot of blind spots for a product manager when execution gets pushed down the throat of of the engineering teams. And so if an engineering team has to make a decision on a technical choice, 
we don't want to have the artificial constraint of time on that technical decision if there's larger things to weigh. And so this then becomes the wrong decision criteria for how your engineering team makes their technical roadmap or conducts their technical assessments. And so that's where execution and the power of execution can kind of fall short if you have that mentality. Um, but as long as there's a unified conversation that is clear and transparent with the team that, well, we are trying to move fast, we also want to make sure that we're creating something that's scalable and flexible and that's going to operate at the levels that we expect. And so, you know, I kind of go back to that notion of what you measure measures you back. And if you're just measuring yourself on a timeline, um, then of course you're going to end up eating the constraints around where that nets you out if you've made the wrong decisions based off of only a timeline. So this is where having a very strong engineering partner that's attached at the hip as a product person really helps to ground you in your relentless pursuit of execution because it can't be at the expense of excellence. And I realize that that's a little bit of, you know, a, a oxymoron by saying, well, you know, can you have it cheap and done well and on time? You know, you can have only two of those three. Um, but I do really truly believe that it is possible to have excellence and execution, um, but it will come at a cost. And so uh, sometimes that cost is, you know, in, in terms of timelines, in terms of human power to get the, um, to get the build completed. Um, but, you know, being aware of what that is before you enter into one of the, one of those big builds is, is just really important to have those conversations up front. Right. Right. Now, Peter Drucker, uh, the legendary management consultant and writer, uh, once quoted that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Now, I guess to being clear, he didn't mean that strategy was unimportant. He kind of meant that uh, a powerful and empowering culture was a better approach and route to take for organizational success. Now, how do you relate with this, with that execution mindset, having that culture side as well? Culture is so important. And there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people who've said that before me in a much more profound way, but, but, I, but I like that you're asking this because it, I believe it, it culture does eat strategy for breakfast. And, you know, I really truly believe that the visceral execution of strategy often comes to light inside of a proof of concept, inside of a prototype, um, inside of, of a physical thing that you can kind of hold in your hand and have a true understanding as a user yourself or as a possible consumer of whatever it is that you've built. And so from that perspective, um, you know, I can give you all the decks you want about what a proper strategy should be and should look like. Uh, but that's not going to matter if it doesn't translate into something that works for the user. Um, you know, I've followed Red Burns, her career. She was a professor um, and her 
best quote, which I actually think I sent to you, was around technology is a verb and not a noun. And thinking it, thinking about it through that lens makes all the difference in the world. And so, you know, I, I look at that and I think a lot of strategy is developed with technology as the noun, as the place that you're going to land to solve your problems or to, you know, find a new home that will do something for you that you have previously had to manually do before. And it's actually not, it's a, it's a means to get to somewhere else. And you can't truly experience that if you haven't built it. So if that is how I feel about strategy, then the culture that you need to build in order to make sure that once you've built that thing, that you can evolve it, that you are around people in your organization that can actually make that better because they believe in it themselves, that they're so committed to making this verb be the best actionable item that a user can have in their arsenal, then I think that that becomes the reason why you get to execution in the best and most effective and efficient way possible, because there's a collective understanding that you're building to a greater good. And so from my perspective, culture is what supercharges strategy. And if you had to give up one of the two, you could give up strategy and still end up with a great product, but you can't give up culture and end up with a great product, or at least not a great product that is gonna continue to evolve. If you happen to get it right once without culture, it's probably luck. But any time after that, it is, it is the people that believe in it that will fuel it and make sure that it becomes what it should be. No, I love that. I love how you put it and related to that uh, quote on tech, using technology as a verb and not a noun. I love that. Uh, now, you know, given Amber, we're in COVID, uh, teams are remote. There's a lot of, I guess, emotional baggage, if you will, vulnerabilities uh, for pretty much all of us. Now, how do you go about, uh, you know, executing uh, when it comes to remote product teams? I, I definitely think that it's a challenge for, for teams. I think if you'd asked me before COVID, I probably would have told you that we can't do it. No, 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 no. We can't have our product teams working remotely this entire time. Um, that we're going to lose the ability to collaborate and it's going to be harder for us to run impromptu sessions. And we're going to, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you lose that hallway banter uh, that is so important to the contributions of where uh, where our product and where solutions end up coming from. Um, but we, we are managing. And I think the first thing to remember is that we are all human. And there's a vulnerability to this change that has to be spoken about. No one has the right answer for this. And if you've been a team that's physically been in the office the whole time and you're trying to figure out how to be a well-oiled and gel gelling team from a personality perspective over Zoom, like it is tricky and Zoom is exhausting. And so I think everyone needs to sort of remember that it is, well, it's possible. It's not necessarily an easy transition. 
and remembering that we're humans and we've got other things going on in our lives at this point is also really important. So it takes a huge effort from everybody to be empathetic. And the good news is, is that a product team should be a master at empathy anyways. They are taught and schooled to be empathetic to the users, uh, to the buyers, to whoever it is that is ultimately consuming your product. Uh, So that is what I would say is step one. And the rest of it, I think, is making sure that you keep communication channels open, that you have honest conversations about how you use Slack, because Slack and your relationship with it needs to change when you're remote. And when is it a good time to phone people on an ad hoc basis? And when it is when is it a good time to just message them? So setting those rules for engagement and you know treating it exactly like you would a product, iterating on it. You know we'll try doing two standups a week and we'll see if that's too much. We'll try doing a one to one every uh, every week and we'll see if that's too much. So you've got to be able to have some humility and saying that like oh this isn't really working for me or I can tell this isn't working for you and then being able to apply a new pursuit after that. Right on. Yeah, I mean, we are product people, and I guess having that experimentation mindset, as as you say, we could literally apply it to our, uh, you know, communication channels and the way we're engaging with our colleagues, which is actually, I think it's something that not a lot of, uh, you know, other folks in different industries have, but that's something that we have, and that's really comes to help us these days, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned uh, Red Burns. Uh, in terms of, like, like your favorites when it comes to books or any resources uh, for that kind of approach to product, uh, you know, development and execution mindset, anything else you'd like to share with the uh, listeners? I, you know, I think from a product execution standpoint, first, like the, the best thing, and this is going to sound like a cop out, the best thing that you can do is understand whether or not the process in your organization is driving you or you're driving the process. And it's an important question to ask yourself because if you're spending time driving a process, you probably have the wrong process in place. And the process should drive you in that it's forcing you to meet those execution timelines and commitments that you've made. And so look at JIRA and the way you're teams are using it and contributing to it, look at the different parts of your process that can be either automated or documented. And so if a team member is doing a task more than once, ask yourself that. Is it written down somewhere or can we automate this? And those are the small but really effective ways that you can start to build some kind of executionally focused environment. So, you know, as maybe that's a compo, but first it's introspective. Um, Following that, there's not a lot of PMs I've met that talk uh, aggressively about execution. There's a lot that want to um, have conversations around strategy and there's a a ton of what I would say is blogs and material for that. Um, From from the execution point of view, it seems to be a little bit more of a a dirty word, although I would definitely disagree with that. 
but the classic places sometimes have great articles on it. Um, you know, first round, uh, there's, I don't know. Um, I, I, I pretty much read every, uh, Andreessen Horowitz blog that post that comes out. I like to understand where and how people are moving towards things, but I don't think the resources that I use for, uh, execution perspectives. Okay. All right. No, that's fair. So, uh, w- what's next, uh, Amber for you and your team at, uh, Sensible? <laughs> well, uh, we're definitely going to be, uh, remote for a while. So now that we're in a nice routine, we're finding our way through this, uh, together and culturally trying to make sure that we can hold some of that magic sauce uh, without physically being in the same room together uh, as often as we would like. Um, so from that perspective, we're, we're definitely going to keep our chins up and move forward on that one. From a growth perspective, we're continually uh, pumping our roadmap full of exciting new products. A lot of those products are leaning heavily into capabilities we have with SKU level data and how that SKU level data can become more predictive for a lot of different um, organizations and FIs and how we might be able to uh, bring that data strategy to market in new ways. So we're really excited and bullish about the future of Sensible because we do have an incredible data and AI team and certainly our our machine learning is, uh, you know, best in class. And so we've been able to get into 85 plus financial institutions as a result. We're making a pretty big announcement next week with one of the largest banking, uh, one of the largest banks in the world. And so we're, we're, stoked but um but that definitely means that we've got to keep innovating and keep moving forward and so that's the plan that's awesome that's a lot of exciting news and i'm really happy to hear that for you uh yeah so last question it could be a fun question if you if you see that way what are some of your uh, quarantine tips <laughs> um my quarantine tips. Well, I'm lucky enough to have a dog, and I'm going to tell you that if you can get some affection from a pet, that gives you a lot of energy and rejuvenation back inside of you. Um, try to keep a lock on the fridge door. Um, if you're going to drink a whole pot of coffee, maybe warn people before a meeting that you are jacked on a full pot of caffeine because it helps them put up with the speed at which you're talking and also the enthusiasm that you're throwing out in those Zoom calls. Other than that, I know that staying happy and healthy is everyone's primary concern right now and just have some empathy for the people around you. We don't always see all that others are going through, and it's really important for us to be humans first, um, especially at a time like this. No, I love that. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Amber, uh, for being with us and sharing your tips on execution for remote product teams. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and for all of these insightful questions. All right, guys, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed today's talk with Amber Foucault on execution for remote product teams. 
Make sure to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at PMHopTO. And until next time, stay safe and healthy.